Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Comics. I am Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. Good morning, Taylor. Morning, Todd. It's a beautiful May. What is this? May 13th? I had to look at the day. I'm like, what yeah, day is it? Me too. Uh, it, it is not here in Southern California. We've got a little, we've had a, um, it, it, this is the May Grays. And uh, so we've been having like 65 degree weather and marine layers all day. So it's, oh, uh, wow. Yeah, it's, but it's actually kind of refreshing. I'm hoping to store it up for uh, for the summer <laughs> yeah. when it will be hotter. Uh, but yeah. Well, you're going to be here next weekend. I mean, I am. Little tip for our listeners: I'm getting married in late June, and next weekend I'm going to. I, I, the idea of a bachelor party, like traditional bachelor weekend, kind of repulsed me, and uh, I was just like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to do anything. And my friend Brianna hit me up, and she goes, "Hey, you should probably do something." And it doesn't have to be traditional. It can just be a, a weekend of things that you really like and just get a couple people together that you think will be, uh, you know, friendly and maybe, may, you know, and so I'm just like, oh, Todd, Brianna. And I thought about a couple other people. But I'm like, no, 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 just the three of us. And you guys are, you guys are coming in next weekend and we're going to have a lovely little time. I'll just uh, throw this out there. You know, Deadpool opens next weekend as well. Oh my God. <laughs> I completely, I, shame on me. I thought that was later in June for some weird reason. I didn't uh, realize so it, was, did I. it was already upon us. Well, let me add that to the list. As well. <laughs> I like that we're talking uh, sort of behind the scenes stories because I had this really scintillating one to tell you, which is uh, well, not so much for you, but for our listeners, which is I actually showered before doing this podcast today. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what feels so weird about this Sunday morning? Oh, I'm nice and clean and <laughs> like ready for the day as I sit down to do a podcast, which never happens. Now I want to go back to old episodes and just imagine you sitting there like a, like a, like a dirty hobo, just right, yeah, like, like Pigpen from the from uh, <laughs> Charlie Brown, just dust floating around me. I have a very tiny apartment, and it uh it goes from like clean to cluttered and dusty instantly. You know, it's mm-hmm. like if I don't, um, I had a little band practice on Friday and came home and just threw my shit everywhere and I have not put it up. And so it's like, you can't even get through my living room because it's so small. So ah, yes, the bachelor um, life. I remember it. Well, it was very, very recently that I was in a similar situation. So wh- what are you drinking this morning, Taylor? Well, this morning, Todd, I'm back to tried and true coffee. I think after weeks of tea and other other unrelated things, I'm back to coffee. And I am once again drinking a blend from Switchback, which is a local roastery here in Colorado Springs. And it is the Golden Age Espresso, not oh. to be confused with the Golden Age of Tech from uh, our <laughs> friends over at Scientology we're talking about. <laughs> before the show began uh, <laughs> sorry i had to, i had to slip that in I just uh, honestly as you said golden age i that's the phrase that went through my head See, we, <laughs> we are truly at uh, operating thetan level four of <laughs> scientology watchers <laughs> i uh, and it was funny too i was i so wanted to say it when we were discussing it because i'm like oh god we're we're having a scientology but I, I i wanted to wait till we recorded so yeah it's actually it's um it's one of their sort of signature blends it's uh you know, meant for an espresso machine but you can put it in an aeropress or a French press, um, really just wonderful little blend. Um, I've gotten it's it's kind of a lighter roast too, which I've I've gotten really hooked to the light the light beans as of late. I don't know why. Uh, they're just I think maybe it's a spring thing, but I've really been loving that. So yeah, what about so you? What, what oh, sorry. What makes an espresso roast versus not an espresso roast? This is a technical question that I am not adept to answer, <laughs> adept enough to answer. However, what I'm what I just based on the grind. Um, I notice espresso grind has uh, it's it's way 
the aroma is much more apparent. It, um, I think the way it grinds is a lot smoother. So the water, you know, you want, you want some space in between the grinds, but not very many. You want to pack it in as much as possible so that you get that really thick kind of crema when it comes out the other side. So it, it allows for that a lot more. Um, I think, you know, when you grind beans that are meant for a French press, typically they are darker and they're, there's a lot, they're a lot more fragile, I think. So the, the, you know, the space in the water in the French press is a lot, you know, you can, you can move through a lot faster. So this is, I think it's just meant more for the, the espresso machine itself by the, oh, by the okay. grind, the smell, the, the potency, all that good stuff. We'll find out or some, uh, listener will correct us. Yeah, uh, I I am not on on the, the I'm not yet off my tea bender, so I'm drinking more of that gunpowder green. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I, I this this should be my morning ritual, and then coffee should be my like afternoon ritual. But generally, it's just a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been. It's weird. In the last week or two, I've been drinking way more coffee just throughout the day than I ever had before, and it's, I'm I'm feeling it. But it's like it's a, it was an adjustment to go back. Yeah. Well, uh, we, you know, it feels like it's been a while uh, only in that last week, uh, you did a very cool, a single shot episode with, uh, your friend, Mike Marlowe. Yeah. Is that right. Okay. Yeah. Mike and uh, I sat together cause we, and it was, it was going to be a one shot kind of released, I think, uh, just in, 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 in like an, an additional episode to last week. And we ended up just making it the, the main episode, which is totally yeah. fine, but yeah, it was great. He came in the studio. Um, it always changes things up a little bit. You, for those who don't know, Todd and I are rarely ever in the same room when we do this, uh, unfortunately. So it's, we make do, and I think we do a pretty good job, uh, considering, but when somebody's in the studio with you, it's always a bit of a different dynamic. Um, yeah, it was a cool episode too. As I said to you in text, as I was listening through it, uh, I like <clears throat> the fact that you did a a larger comics roundup and like a what are you reading kind of way. What should we be paying attention to with someone other than me? Yeah, that yeah. was a, that was a neat way to like flip it and and get an outsider's uh, perspective on on what's what's out there and and what we should be watching. And yeah, so yeah. everyone should check out that episode. Uh, you also talked a, a bit about Infinity War with them, and we had done Infinity War the week before. When it came out, I've now seen Infinity War a second time. How about yourself? Are you still just on the one? Um, I, I, I want to. I kind of want a little bit more time to pass okay. before I do. Because I want to see it again in the theater before it, it leaves the big screen. I think there's a mm-hmm. lot of visuals that really work well in the theater. Um, and I, I just want to give it another go to see if I still have some of the same complaints as I did the first time. I've had a lot of time to think about it and suss it out. And um, I've actually gone back and rewatched a couple of the earlier Marvel movies. Yesterday I had, I did Iron Man one, two, and three just in the background while I cleaned and worked and was able to kind of re-ingest some of that. What, what'd you think about three? I, you know what? I <laughs> in, in conjunction with all of them. Well, full disclosure, I'm somebody who loves Iron Man two. That's actually my favorite of the three. And a lot of people hate that one and think it's the one of the worst Marvel movies. And I actually really like it. Three is directed by Shane Black. So there's a difference in sensibility, but for what the story is, it works perfectly. And I just, I don't know. I liked, um, you know, it's, it, it was clear that the third one is probably the last single movie we should ever get. You know, we don't really need to see more right. of that. I mean, it, it really, it, it, I mean, at the end, if you haven't seen it, Tony gets the, the arc reactor taken out of his chest and he really becomes who he, you know, he becomes Tony Stark. You know, he, he even says it at the end. He's like, I am Iron Man. I don't need these tools and these gadgets and everything. I can just, my brain and my outlook on life is all that I really need. And that was a really cool way to end in that 
arc of stories where it begins in Iron Man one with him, you know, cocky, um, you know, thinking that he has to rely on all this tech and all these things and his money to do what he needs to do. And just ending with him as just a simple, as just a man. Yeah. And, but a really no, and, capable and, man. and in Iron Man two, where he's literally being poisoned by the thing that made him. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. No. And yeah. I liked, you know, I liked the, uh, I, I'm one of those people too, who really like the, uh, the mix up of what, of the Mandarin, you know, it's, Let's be let's be honest. If you're going to do the Mandarin in the comics, the comics version, a it's such a weird foe for Iron Man to face. It's just like like this guy who is completely tech oriented, and this other guy who's you has these magical mystic rings. It just I don't I don't like that mashup at all. I just it feels out of place to me. And then to try to do that, it's the Iron Man Armored Adventures cartoon that came out a couple years ago tried to do it in a way that made sense and they really did try it. It still felt a little odd, but that's probably the closest Mandarin you're going to get that doesn't feel racist or weird. And so just for the movie to try to do it, I was just like, eh, at that juncture, if, if they were going to do it, they should have already done it. So I like that, you know, Ben Kingsley was basically a, a red herring and I just, I like <laughs> that's the only way it could really work. I think in, in, in the modern context, um, you know, Obadiah stain and, um, whiplash and like the, like uh, uh justin hammer like those are the villains that i think are most appropriate to to play off iron man because it's you know they're they're versions of him that are a little darker you know like obadiah stain is what tony stark would have been if he hadn't gotten captured and you know gone through all of that and justin hammer is what Ju- what tony stark would have been if he wasn't as smart you know or as charming and <laughs> it's it's just like it just it shows you these aspects of his personality that he has to fight against and kind of conquer and so the Mandarin just isn't that it's just, it, you know, it's not supposed to be that. And there was kind of a twist at the end where, and again, if you haven't seen Iron Man three, what the hell's wrong with you? Like go, <laughs> don't even I, listen to the show. I really enjoyed Iron Man three at the time, but it is the one I've seen only once, I think. So, oh, wow. I, you know. so it definitely, definitely deserves another rewatch. My only problem with it when it came out was that it should have been freaking released at Christmas because it was a mm. Christmas-themed movie that came out in May, so that just felt really disjointed. And I'm like, this would have made so much... This would have felt really, really good released in November instead of Thor The Dark World or whatever it was that came out that year. Um, so just that was that was my only complaint thematically watching it. You're like, this is a Christmas movie. It's it, it takes place during Christmas. It's got Shane Black Christmas songs, and they should have just gone all the way. And anyway, <laughs> well, but we're not here to talk about that. We're, no, this, I, I bring that up because my pick of the week uh continued i so i saw avengers this week and then i revisited an old avengers comic and wanted to talk about that so we we are going to keep talking about avengers in a way excellent um, which is uh i i uh i read the unworthy thor volume one. Oh wow uh, which is uh so it, it's uh, just a year old um and in the thor universe uh a few years ago uh Thor, uh, the blonde dude, the um, pirate angel, um, (laughs) was no longer worthy to pick up uh, uh, Mjolnir, his hammer. And it was picked up by this mysterious person, uh, a woman. And, you know, they they kept that uh, mystery up for maybe two issues (laughs) before we realized it was Jane Foster. Um, But I don't think I don't think Odinson, as he began to call himself, uh, was, uh, I, I think it took him a while to figure out that it was Jane. Mm. Um, maybe he never did. I'm not really sure. I haven't finished reading that, that comic. Well, he did. Um, it, 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 he does just yeah. mean, full disclosure. So they, they had her take over, um, 
the mighty Thor. So for the past like two or three years, the mighty Thor comic book has been Jane and they ran his stories in the unworthy Thor. Um, And so this one, I, you know, I remember when I read it last summer, first of all, the art uh, by Olivier uh, Coppel or uh, Copiel or something um, C O I P E L is just awesome. Like this is like the art I want to see on a Thor book. Um, And it, uh, when I read it before Ragnarok came out, you know, I sort of saw some things that I'd seen in the trailer, like, Oh, okay. So his, you know, his hair is short in this book and um, you know, I, things that I knew were going to happen in the new Thor movie, but it really f- works with all these recent Avengers movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I, <laughs> what I did was uh, I, I made a short list of, why you want to read the unworthy Thor. (laughs) I may just bring it to Denver to hand off to you actually. Okay. Um, And it is, uh, and then I thought I could tell you the, the plot, uh, you know, um, uh, briefly after that. But uh, so the, uh, the haircutting is actually a scene in it, which is pretty cool. Um, You know, just as a, they obviously knew that was going to happen in the movie and it was a, you know, um, a a nod to the movie or vice versa. Um, Thanos? Does it happen the same way that it does? No, it does okay. not. Um, Thanos and the Black Order appear in this. Uh, the Collector is the main villain. What? <laughs> not Thanos? Nope. Um, and then Hela appears at the end. Uh, I assume she is probably uh, a big part of Volume 2. And she may play the role that you wanted her to play in the movie infinity war. Oh, wow. Yeah. She appears, she appears to Thanos and basically makes him the deal that you have talked about. And I don't know if we should talk about that now, or if people should just go back and listen to every podcast we've ever made (laughs) and try to figure out what I'm alluding to. Um, yeah, he fights with an ax because Mjolnir is obviously, um, uh, in Jane's hands. Do they Um, call it Stormbreaker? No, you know what? I had not, just it never like fastened in my memory was that Stormbreaker is actually the name of the hammer of Beta Ray Bill. Oh, weird. Okay. And Beta Ray Bill is this alien that ha- sort of has the powers of Thor. I don't. He looks like a horse. It's the one yeah, every time you see horse Thor. Face, yeah. That's not a mutated Thor. That's just another guy who's called Beta Ray Bill. Yes, exactly. And that's like when uh, <laughs> when people b- <laughs> bitch about uh um, uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, changing uh, genders or um, uh, ethnicities of superheroes. My response is always, you know, when I was a kid, Thor was a horse <laughs> and <laughs> Captain Marvel was a black woman. <laughs> I don't like this, this idea that like there, there's some canon and, and everything has to be a white dude all the time is so stupid. Or that's like, or somehow that that's like a newer phenomenon. Like this right. is only and, like, the last three years. years. Political correctness and SJWs or whatever. No, this is like, this is how we tell mythological stories, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, so speaking of Stormbreaker, it is in this comic because Beta Ray Bill shows up and offers it to Odinson um, because he wants him to have a hammer. Um, and uh, the last point on my why you want to read this is that Thor has lost an arm. I see that. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing the, uh, the yeah. art up while you talk about it. I was going to ask you about that. He's got yeah. like an Android arm. It is. A, well, it is an Uru metal arm, just like uh, Mjolnir's axe. Okay. Uh, and I believe 
I know I've read the origin of his arm. I kind of want to say it came from the same dwarf forge, mm-hmm. you know, um, on uh, Nevada. Run Lear. by Peter. Run by Peter Dinklage. Dinklage. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's uh, those are those are my bullet points. I mean, I think Kevin the Collector is the villain, and Thanos is like a side villain. Is you know, given what we've seen now in Ragnarok and Infinity War. And some of the guardians like appearances of collector, like, you know, in the movies, I mean this, like you got to be into this now. <laughs> it is a, yeah. to me, it's a, just a cool adventure story for Thor. I, as I've mentioned before, I, I, I never like when like a, an actual, like, you know, or a different kind of myth is sort of pulled into a superhero universe or like, you know, gods walk among, uh, you know, human beings in superhero universes. That's always weird to me, but I do like seeing Thor, out in space being Thor. That's the other thing. He's like in space, you know, it's Mm -hmm. not, um, this is not on earth or anything like that. So, um, so the plot of this uh, is, uh, I mean, oh man, just opens up with him going to town on some trolls uh, in a, a a fighting way. Not a, has he, has he lost Mjolnir at the, at the beginning or yes. Yes. It is sort of like post the events of um, mighty Thor, one so jane is is thor now got it okay and so he is odinson uh fighting these trolls with his uh, battle axe and his uh sidekick is his flying goat tooth nasher um is his giant flying goat and uh so then he is uh boy how does he uh does he end up with yeah i think he meets beta ray bill first I don't remember the order. Now, on this canon, Sorry. do they do they know each other already? Oh yeah, yeah. This is totally canon. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, this is like in in line with everything. They're you know they feel uh, each they call each other brother. Um, okay. And does yeah. does he has he been like exiled from Asgard or does he just is he just so shamed that he just leaves on his own accord to go fight Odinson? Yeah, he um something's gone down in Asgard and I cannot remember what or if I even ever knew, but I know in the events of Thor, the goddess of thunder and then the mighty Thor um, that was sort of alluded to. So okay. Like, I think that people have left Asgard, but anyway, so he uh, he he is abducted by the collector and boy, I wish I knew the order of this. Um, yeah. Asgard is no longer in Asgard. Um, and he is abducted by the collector. Uh, and what we discover is that the collector, uh, a Mjolnir, a different hammer, actually, it's not Mjolnir, a different hammer that is, um, has the engraving, like, uh, who, you know, whoever is, uh, worthy shall, you know, be able to lift this and inherit the powers of Thor. Um, that hammer has landed on Asgard and the collector has tried to collect it. But if like a lesser being touches it, it just kills them. Um, he points out like, it doesn't matter if they're a robot or, um, you know, organic, if they, if they touch this hammer, they're dead. And he, because he's an eternal, um, it doesn't kill him, but it, it hurts him a whole bunch. So because he could not take the hammer from Asgard, he has taken Asgard. Oh, and wow. So he, so that, I mean, it did like, again, it's not, it doesn't like totally dovetail with the events of Ragnarok and stuff, but it's that same feeling of like the Asgard, the place is sort of a, a flat earth, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, you know, floating sort of landmass in space that is now within the collector's gigantic sort of planet sized ship. 
his menagerie. Yeah, it's in his menagerie. Exactly. Um, oh, I forgot one of the other points why you want to read this, which is that uh, Thor's other new sidekick is a hound of hell. <laughs> 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 and so there's this angry dog that can speak and only talks about murder. It's oh, pretty, wow. pretty awesome. And he breathes fire. Um, so, uh, so Thor's put in the menagerie and the idea is like they, they chain him up and he'll break the chains and they'll chain him up again with more chains and he'll break those eventually, but they're just keeping him there until he can actually lift this hammer. Um, so, uh, from there it's, uh, you know, it, you sort of sense that the plot is that Thor is, you know, Thor eventually is going to do whatever it is to lift this hammer. He's going to break through that wall of unworthiness or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they do a couple of great like flashback scenes where a different illustrator draws it and the color mm-hmm. is slightly different. I love that. Um, to tie it back to when he was young Thor and would spend all night trying to lift Mjolnir, um, you know, and his mother coming in to scold him and like, get some bed, you know, you'll eventually be worthy. You're just not worthy now. And he just, puts it up to like, I guess I just have to slay more dragons and save more towns and blah, blah, blah. And uh, so he's kind of flashing back to that while he's in this jail cell with this hellhound. Um, and uh, it's just, uh, I, it's a good Thor adventure, you know? And so then of course uh, Thanos and the black order get involved because Thanos sends Proxima midnight and the black Swan to take the hammer Um and they're being guided by um, this sort of mysterious being that can sense the hammer. So it's sort of like a, you know, the person that's like on, on the tray, on the, on the scent of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that person uh, originally leads them to the wrong hammer, which is beta Ray bills and then realizes their mistake and, and finds the other hammer is, you know, with the collector. And so I, I yeah, I, everything about this <laughs> was so cool, um, and especially in context of what we've just seen in Infinity War and Ragnarok, um, and I just love this art. Like, this is everything, you know, I love about superhero comic art. Uh, it's pretty dark at times, a lot of, like, you know, um, I don't, boy, I, don't, I mean, it's just, like, they're, they're muted tones, I guess, um, you know, and really detailed in that way where it's not... Uh, it doesn't look digital, you know, I mean, it may be, but it looks very much like these are thin pencil and pen lines. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just, just really fun. You know, it's not like you have to connect it to the other stuff. We kind of talked about this with um, a couple weeks ago when we talked about uh, 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 the fairyland, but I can't remember what the, <laughs> is it just called fairyland? I hate fairyland. I hate fairyland. Yeah. And how you could, you know, there are sort of, like the, not exactly a cliffhanger. There's something at the end that hints at what will be in the next uh, volume, but it, you know, it's, you don't feel like I've got to read that for this story to make sense. You really feel like this concludes at the end, you know, this was an nice. adventure of fours and it concludes and there's something there that entices you to read on, but you don't, you know, you, nothing is unresolved. So I really liked it for just being like a, you know, sit down in the afternoon um, and, read through it and uh yeah just is um you said volume one is there just there's just the one trade paperback i assume no i believe they've got um several i believe they've been running this series in uh like in tandem with jane as the mighty Thor. oh i see but you mean like this particular story has a starting and an end point and then he goes on to some other adventure somewhere else yeah i mean i think there is an unworthy thor volume two 
but it's uh, a totally separate like a trade story, paperback story arc different completely everything like, yeah not- I, I mean it's pretty clear um where it picks up at the end i mean i mentioned hella um yeah. and it, you know she does not play a big role in this but uh you do feel like you know that's where it's going at the end mm-hmm. um yeah i mean what what <laughs> you know we should just i should just spoil that it's not not a spoiler from the book but uh taylor had uh, you had thought that we we might see hella go from ragnarok into infinity war and play the role of death mm-hmm. that that a a persona named death plays in infinity gauntlet the comic or just any any i mean usually any depiction of thanos has him chasing and lusting after death yeah you know she kind of appears in a in a form that never talks to him or never speaks and because we've never seen that introduced at all in the mcu i thought well why not have kate blanchett just be that be that foil for him and maybe maybe because she has died in ragnarok that you know maybe she appears but she's silent for some right Um, well yeah hella appears and tells thanos I'm here because I can offer you what you've always wanted. And he says, Mm -hmm. Oh, what's that? And she whispers death. Oh, wow. It ends on a very passionate kiss between them. Oh, interesting. Okay. Just for that, I need to read that. (laughs) I'm looking at the art too, though. And like, I agree. It looks, it looks stellar. And and more importantly, it actually makes the collector look like an actual, like intimidating character. It gives him some gravity and it gives him some like, yeah, one, one page I'm looking at, it's got um, Thor kind of, it's like, it looks like it's a double fold or it appears that way, but Thor's walking triumphantly with like lightning and like, he's going to face the collector and the collector is looking at him with this really menacing face and just sort of like flames around him. And it just looks, it looks badass. Like in, in Televere, Telenir Tavon, how do you, whatever his real name oh, is. Oh, geez. I have no idea. Every time they portray him in like, you know, in the MCU, it's Benicio Del Toro, who's doing a great job, but he's very much a sort of sideline character. Not really that menacing. You know, they, they steal a lot of his agency. He's just, he's just, you know, literally like a, you know, like an actual like antiques dealer, you know, of yeah. the MCU. And in, in some of the cartoons, they give him more power, but he's really, he's not a menacing kind of character. So I'm really interested to see how that plays out in, in this. Well, you don't think about it, but especially because of the way they've portrayed him in the movies, but you know, he, he is an eternal. So he yeah, is one of yeah. those, you know, like Adam Warlock uh, kind of characters, I guess that, you know, is, is almost godlike. And actually I, I just realized that I may have mis- misspoken entirely here. This was apparently not an ongoing series that continued to run during the mighty Thor. This looks like a one-off. It looks like oh. there were five issues that they've put into a trade paperback. That honestly makes me like it even more. Yeah, <laughs> that, that it ends with that promise between Hela and Thanos. Yet that will be, you know, maybe that's picked up on in, uh, you know, in the Mighty Thor, but it's it's not here. Yeah. So it, yeah. this, yeah, I, that may, like I said, that makes me like this and recommend it even more because you can pick up a one shot of a great space adventure with Thor and Beta Ray Bill, and you know, and it's going to tie into the Jane Foster Thor and uh, yeah, feel good about everything. So once again, who wrote it and who drew it? So uh, Jason Aaron wrote it. And I, I, I uh, you know, again, I, this is, this is me. I'm the, uh, the Ben Kissel of this podcast. I never do any research before I read this. <laughs> um, but I know Jason Aaron was writing Mighty Thor. Okay. Uh, and Olivier uh, Coppel or, or, or Coppel, it's C O I P E L. 
um, is the artist. And I don't, it looks very, very similar to all the goddess of thunder, mighty Thor stuff with Jane Foster. So I, I would not be surprised to learn this is the same writer uh, artist team as all the mighty Thor, but I know Jason Aaron's on mighty Thor. I don't know if, if uh, Olivier was so Got it. cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what about you? What did you pick this week? Well, this is a pick I never thought I would do on the show. And it's something that I have <laughs> flirted with reading for a while. And it's, it, uh, uh, you'll probably guess it before I say it, but it's by Jonathan Hickman. And it's a Jonathan Hickman title that a lot of people really like. And, and for those of you who don't know, I am in the bag for most Hickman stuff, um, especially his, in, you know, his image slash indie titles. Like he can do no wrong. But there was one book that I'd always kind of looked at like, eh, I just never could get into it. And largely it was the art, but also just the, the concept just seemed strange to me. And I'm like, there's other books that do it better. And, and lo and behold, Comixology had uh, volumes one, two, and three, the trade paperbacks available. Whoa. And I still had my Comixology trial. So I'm like, well, what the hell? I'll, I'll grab it. No, no commitment. You know, I didn't feel like I was blowing 15 bucks to maybe be disappointed. And it's the Manhattan Projects. And it's, again, written oh. by Jonathan Hickman with art by Nick Pitara or Patera. Again, I can't. I don't know the exact pronunciation. I'll say Nick Patera um, and published by image. And I've, uh, I am up to volume three in my reading, but I, I'm going to talk more about volume one because there's, I don't really have to spoil a whole lot and I can kind of can get into it. And let me start by, I guess, let me, let me address the art first. One of the reasons I didn't quite get into it is because it has that sort of very, you know, loose kind of wavy pencil style that I just, mm traditionally have never been a fan of it just kind of feels very you know it, it almost looks like you're looking at looking at it through a fever dream like it just kind of all move it has like kind of a, a flowy fluidness to it that when it we're talking about a story set in the late 40s early 50s i just thought well that's an odd choice you know it seems like again we've talked in previous episodes that i, I kind of am one of those people that the the tone and style of the art should fit the era largely you know the uh the before Watchmen title that deals with the Minutemen really, really nails this. And so I kind of thought, well, it should be like that. Once I got into the story though, it really doesn't need to be anything like that. And the, the story's so batshit crazy and just completely like it is, it is not based in any reality at all. It's so heightened. It's so extreme that it, the, the art can just be whatever it wants to be. But what really kind of turned the corner for it uh, for me was the realization that um, I'm really interested in another another series called Citizen Jack, which came out on Image a couple years yes. ago, and it's an amazing series. Although, given the election of Donald Trump to the presidency, it's a little too real. And I think the the creators actually stopped making it because Trump got elected, and they're just like, "Oh shit, what what we're doing is actually coming true." So we want to stop that. But the art in Citizen Jack is very very similar to the art in Manhattan Projects. Different artists as far as I can tell, but it's, it is very similar. And I had no problem with citizen Jack. So I thought, well, shoot, that's one, you know, one reason to try it. And the other one is, as I was looking through it, just kind of perusing a lot of the wide shots where you see, you know, it's not close-ups, uh, a lot of just, you know, the regular action wide shots or just, you know, big, big kind of group wide shots looks very, very similar to the art of where's Waldo. And I just, I never really, <laughs> never really, that never really hit me until then. I'm just like, Oh, that, you know what? Just, for that alone, I'm going to give this uh, give this a shot. So I've gotten through it, and clearly I'm on volume three, so it's compelling, and it's I'm and I, I'm very slowly being warmed to it. Like more and more stuff happens. It's so batshit, and it just kind of seems like it's it's an earlier Hickman title. So 
it's it's been fun to see certain ideas and certain statements he's tried to make then uh, materialize in other books since in a much more interesting, profound way. Like there's a lot of the Black Monday murders kind of gets teed up just idea idea wise in the Manhattan Project. So it's kind of fun to see that happen. Um, but to give you kind of a, a breakdown of the story, this takes place at the very tail end of World War II you know, in the Manhattan project itself, which is original, you know, to us in the real world was, was created to, to, as we know, you know, build an atomic bomb to end the war. That in this story is just the cover. That's, you know, like we, we tell everybody that that's what we're doing. We tell the government that's what we're doing. Uh. But really what we're doing <laughs> is assembling all these scientific minds to just go crazy and, and do whatever we want. And it's, it's the industrial, uh, the military industrial complex on steroids. It's like, we're, we're not accountable to anybody. We've got all these scientists around. We're just going to make cool shit and do crazy things and try to destroy aliens. And, and we've got our own initiative, but we're going to tell people it's, it, we're building a bomb because you know we need something to get. We need, we need a reason to get money. And you realize pretty quickly that there's just no... There's no oversight on this organization. At some point, they actually make a deal with Russia to basically partner with their scientists because they're like, why are we fighting each other? We can accomplish so much more if we partner together. We'll tell our governments that we're at war so that they keep funding us, but we'll be secretly working together. So they're no longer at that point, like uh, just to just to make this clear to myself, they're not they've they've gone rogue. Like they're not working yeah. in government I mean, in that sense. They're still, I mean, they're still recognized. They're still getting funding from the government, but they're very much, they're not answering to that government at, at all. Um, it starts with, you know, FDR gives them the go ahead to do this. And it's funny because at one point, and this is, these are sort of spoilers, but not really because you kind of need to get the world created for you in this first volume to then take it on into the next volumes. That's when it really gets interesting. But a lot of the, the, the volume one's really just a bunch of setup. And so, Right at the end of the war, they, you know, one of the first things they do is they go over to Nazi Germany and, and take all the scientists they can get their hands on and bring them back here. You know, so Project Paperclip or Operation Paperclip is referenced. Um, and that's how we actually uh, meet um, uh, Werner von Braun, who is a – he starts off as kind of like the asshole, swaggering, kind of like the comedian character. Wait, so um, they have <laughs> – the actual historical figure yeah, Werner yeah. von Braun in this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So let me, let me, let me go through the cast. So there's like, and it, it grows as you get into other volumes, but the original cast is um, it starts with Oppenheimer and you realize right out of the gate, it's, it's Oppenheimer, but they say, you know, when, when he's doing his interview, his job interview for the Manhattan project, they're like, no, you know, your brother has some serious issues. He's like, I'm not my brother. And you find out his brother is his twin brother who at one point, you know, diverged. And when Robert Oppenheimer became, you know, like this, this esteemed scientist, his brother became kind of this mass murdering cannibal who would eat people to obtain their knowledge and wisdom and everything. And so at one point you realize, and again, sort of a spoiler, but this happens so early on, I don't feel bad saying this. He eats his brother. And basically Robert Oppenheimer in this world is really Jonathan Oppenheimer who ate his brother, assumed his intelligence <laughs> and is now, yeah, is now is, is, it has this complete <laughs> psychotic snap. And so when you see him thinking it's, it's the man drawn there looking at you, it's, it's, it's Oppenheimer, but then like there's 25 other Oppenheimers behind him, kind of ghost versions of him. And they're all different personalities trying to give him advice and things. So you realize how crazy he is right out of the gate. You also meet Einstein, but it's it's such an it's it's not at all the Einstein you would want to know. You're like, what is wrong with this guy? And again, early on, you realize it's an Einstein. So our Einstein built this portal that can take you to other worlds, <laughs> and he meets 
he meets a dark dimension version of himself who right out of the gate kills him and assumes his place here on earth so it's all it's dark dimension einstein and he's like he's not sinister yet but you can tell like he's got some kind of like weird agenda that doesn't line up with anybody else's um fdr right out of the gate is there but but pretty early on he gets he dies you know in real life he dies and they turn him into an AI. So you've got FDR, the AI there. <laughs> I love this because one of my first questions was, as you were describing it uh, the uh, initially, I was like, okay, I'm going to ask Taylor, uh, what is batshit about it? <laughs> oh, we haven't even gotten to that yet. No, just, this is just the cast. This is batshit. Oh, yeah. You've got uh, Richard Feynman, who's actually the only normal person in this whole thing. He's kind of like the wide-eyed youth who's part of their team. He's like the plucky young sidekick, you know? So he, he, he perfectly acknowledges that a lot of the stuff they're doing is just not, is just crazy and, and, and just completely batshit and evil, but he's sort of the one who's not, you know, he's the actual one who's trying to be part of the team and doesn't have his own weird side agenda that he's trying to pursue. Um, there's a general who's just kind of a, you know, kind of a generic U S general who's running the whole thing. And he's, you know, he's, the more power he can amass for himself without any authority, the better off he is. And then my favorite character, and again, this is the early cast. They keep adding on to it, but my favorite character is Truman. So when FDR dies, Truman is elect, you know, the VP is elected president. And the first shot you see of Truman is at the George, is at the Washington Masonic lodge in DC, which is a real place, by the way, it's right by one of their, their subway lines. And he's in there and he's got like the headdress on and there it's like the craziest like sex orgy you've ever seen. And Truman's right at the heart of it. And he's like smearing blood over everything. You're like, Oh God. And he gets the, he gets the call. Like, you know, you've been elected. And then every shot you see of Truman after that, he's in like the oval office, basically still wearing the headdress, still wearing the Masonic robes, just utterly just crazy. Everything he's, he does is just like the absolute, like every conspiracy theorist, like wet dream is like how they portray Truman in this entire thing. At some point later on, kind of spoilers, but not really like he, they show him in the, um, they actually, he actually depicts uh, a meeting of the, um, of the Illuminati. And so Truman's there and he's got his headdress on. It's just like, it's just so completely batshit crazy in terms of how they portray every, every time he shows up, I laugh because it's just, it's so fun. So at Uh, this point where it's, you know, getting pretty batshit, did the art, like fit the story a little bit better in your mind yeah it kind of does it kind of settles in and you're like yeah i mean they could have drawn this any way they wanted to and it still would have worked but like the art what was originally a problem for me is really not anymore it's like oh this it and and i want to make that clear because nick patera does a great job what he does is very consistent it just was not my particular cup of tea at first but i've grown to really appreciate it um so it's and and the way they depict scenes and i can only imagine nick patera getting the scripts from hickman and just going oh my god like how how am i going to draw this like it's just (laughs) like for example like uh, Werner von braun when you meet him he's got a gigantic android uh like super arm and then like later on you know he gets injured again so they keep like at grafting on robot parts onto him And like, you know, you meet like the Soviet, like eventually when you meet the Soviet side of the equation, like Star City, um, you know, like the, the, the main Soviet general is just a brain, like a, a brain in a vat of fluid <laughs> and like a giant Android body, you know? So it's like, it's just, it's so batshit crazy and it just gets, and they keep adding people to it. One thing to note is that by this point, Nikola Tesla is already dead in, in, you know, in our timeline and in right, there right, too. Right. So, Cause that was my big question. Like, oh, is Tesla alive? Cause I'm like, he would surely be part of this. No, but I, I have every, 
I have no doubt that at some point they're going to try to like resurrect the Android ghost body of Tesla to like do something like it wouldn't be out of the ordinary at all in this story. So, so is the story still running? Oh, ah, that's a great question. I know they're up to like volume six or seven. So it very oh, well, okay. be, wow. um, you know, Hickman, as we've discussed, has no shortage of projects he's working on. I don't know how the hell he finds the time, but um, yeah, exactly. To give you a sense of kind of just some of the plot, it's not, there's not an arc proper. I mean, they set up all these little, like, for example, Einstein's got an agenda. You know, he's trying to use this gate he built for something you don't know what. So that's kind of like a slow boil in the background. Oppenheimer's mm. got something going on. You don't quite know what because he's so crazy. So that's a slow boil in the background. And in the meantime, kind of the main thread is just the, you know, the evolution of the Manhattan Projects. You know, they eventually team up with the Soviets. They show Los Alamos, you know, the research facility there that becomes something. Um, and at some point early on too that you just realize their whole goal of this is just for them to become powerful like a powerful science cabal and just rule the universe so they're continuously stretching out they show at one point an alien visitation that you realize that you know roswell and the russian i forget what the russian equivalent of roswell is called it's got some name too but it's just as it's just as well known you realize that those were just um flukes of the same visitation that happens like every month on the clock and they go to meet the, you know, the latest incarnation. You realize that the, the grays, you know, the Roswell grays that we had been meeting this entire time, at some point they had been taken over by another alien race. And so that alien race decided to visit us anyway. They're like, Hey, we know the grays have been visiting you, but we're going to take their place. And then that, that just launches an entire other absurd, you know, like, <laughs> like quest into like killing these guys. It just, it's so nuts. And like, I think my biggest I wish I had known this earlier because I think when I first flirted with reading this, my thought was, oh, this is like a really fun what if, you know, like what if Einstein was able to yeah. develop some, it, it goes so far beyond that into just the utter lunacy of just Dan Hickman's fever dream. Like it's just, it's, it is like he was on Robitussin, you know, three nights in a row and just crank this out. And it's just purely that crazy fun you know, science, you know, completely conspiratorial alt science fiction story. Oh my um, God. This is so really, up my alley. I can't believe I, I know I, I figured it would be. And it's such a fast read. Like you don't want to, unlike the black Monday murders where like, you know, every page you're like, wow. And you want to weigh the implications of what you just read and go, wow. Like what if this is real? Like black Monday murders is conspiracy with a very, very real sort of backbone, right? This is, the like the absolute extreme of conspiracy with no realistic background whatsoever you know it's just like at one point they bring kennedy into it and it's just like oh god like this it, it kind of makes logical sense kind of but you're like there's no way that you can read this and think oh this could have been going on in the you know in in our world like n no chance of that whatsoever it's just really just crazy fun you know pulpy kind of comic stuff um, so yeah, it's wow. really without spoiling too much more. That's really, Oh, um, <clears throat> one thing I did want to mention, I have my notes here. Um, mention the citizen Jack thing. Mention that. Oh, there is some he, Hickman does do that thing where he has like a quote in front of each issue or mm. in the in case of the paperback, each chapter, he has like a quote from an, uh, a actual real person. So like you get a lot of real Feynman quotes that he actually said, or a lot of Oppenheimer quotes that he actually said, and that kind of tees up a thematic portion of that chapter. So in one, at one point, uh, Von Braun, you know, he, you think that he's doing what he's doing out of loyalty towards the Reich. And you realize, oh, no, he's doing it out of loyalty towards science. Like he wants mm. his, his ultimate purpose is to just make 
is to is to bring humanity to the absolute pinnacle of science like he wants to go into the stars and see and and he'll do whatever he can to get there so he he operates like a mob boss but his end is to is to elevate science at all costs and so the quote at the beginning of that chapter is a is a von braun quote that he actually said that kind of teased it up really nicely so there's little you know those kind of trademark hickman things that he still does today um were very present then too, but it's just, it's, it, it's definitely his loop, loopier, um, loopier series and not wow. in a bad way, you know, and that's not to, that's not to diminish it at all. Uh, yeah. It looks like, so we know like black Monday murders is still running, correct? Oh yeah. 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 And this one, it does look like the, that volume six came out in 2016. So um, whether it, I, I mean, I, I can't tell from the image description if that's the natural conclusion or not. Um, but, I mean, uh, maybe they went on a pause to who knows he could have. Right. Could, right. Exactly. Uh, it, it, let's know too for our listeners Hickman's uh, East of West and um, Transhuman that's the title have been picked up by Amazon so it's if those are successful it's this could I could easily see this being adapted as like the most insane TV series of all time <laughs> but it would be so much fun to watch because you could just easily have these like you know you could almost have like you could cast anybody as Einstein because he's not like he doesn't even really look like the Einstein we know he doesn't carry himself that way he's kind of a you know, he's kind of a caricature of what Einstein would be like nothing, nothing in this series is like really modeled. I mean, loosely visually, but that's it. That's where it stops. And then he kind of just plays with these toys however he wants. Um, wow. Yeah. So anyway, that's yeah. Black Monday Murders, Jonathan Hickman, Nick Patera, Image Comics, always a good choice. And so, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say grab it. If you've, if you've had reservations like I have, um, take a chance, dive in, at least start with volume one. If you don't like it after that, you'll know, but it, it's very easy to just keep going after, after that first volume. You had mentioned that you got it on comiXology. Uh, is that because you were doing the unlimited comiXology trial or yeah, and actually, really cheap? On- I, I'm probably going to renew it for another month at least. Cause I want to oh. finish out what they've got there. Um, cool. and, and I'm probably, you know, this is going to sound terrible to say it's one of those books where if I owned it in trade paperback, I, I, I don't really need to, like, I think the digital, mm. it, the panels are set up to be very digital friendly. So, okay. you're not, you know, you, it's actually better for the story for you to kind of like go panel by panel, uh, through the Kindle or comiXology view, you know, the way it, it, it does that. I, and honestly too, it's like, I, I don't want to say this because I don't want to have people to think that it's disposable, but it, it the pulpy kind of nature of it does fit really well it's not if you really like it obviously grab it put it on your shelf but it's not something that i feel bad about not having physically right well i you know um that digital or print question is always uh good to ask especially with image titles i was not aware of how well their guided view worked or if it worked at all um you know i have some older books that don't have guided view and it's it's frustrating Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to do that like pinch and zoom kind of thing. Yeah, it really um, it's, it makes a huge difference. There's a couple, every once in a great while, I'll find it like a very obscure indie title that isn't on Comixology, but is on Kindle. Yeah. And then I have to do that pinch and zoom well, thing. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's the difference. You're right. That's what's what's been, when I've bought something on a, as a Kindle comic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would actually say the same thing about the Unworthy Thor. I mean, I have it in print because it was one of those where, you know, I just, was it you know the week that it came out in trade paperback uh i wasn't looking for it but i picked it up and uh it, um but i think as as a digital version it would be totally fine like it's just such an enjoyable story i have some of the jane foster thors digitally and i i think i have a couple in print maybe not um but you know i've gone back and forth i know i've had single issues in print and it's mm. you know i would say uh if you're at all interested in unworthy thor check it out on comiXology as well 
Yeah, comicsology. Like I, I didn't think I would get into it as much as I did because I, especially with comics, I'm still one of those people that like if I purchase it uh, outright, I feel a, a greater attachment to it, and I'm more I'm willing to give it a, a deeper dive. Yeah. Um, and I was worried that comicsology would kind of make it feel cheaper, but it honestly like it's it treat it just like the local library. Um, yeah. You know, they even say borrow this book. Like that's the terminology they use. Mm. And it does feel like, hey, I'm borrowing. And just like I would borrow a book from, uh, I've, I've borrowed comics from the library all the time. And it, which is great because it gives you a taste of it. And then there's been at least a couple of titles I've done that with, with the library, at least not yet with comicsology that I bought anyway. Yeah. And so I feel like it's just another discovery mechanism and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't diminish the experience. It gives you the chance to pick up titles like this that you may yeah, have yeah, offense yeah. about and exactly. give them another chance. I feel like you get a like a broader experience that way. Yeah. I mean, at least I went. I don't have the unlimited subscription yet, but I went nuts during that ninety nine cent sale. And you know, I've read a couple of those that I probably won't talk about on our show, but I just wanted to read them. And it was yeah. like, oh yeah. yeah, okay, well, cool. I've read that trade now. I know you know how that how that went. Um, yeah, and you just feel like I mean, because there's. I mean, I've been hearing about, like, I'll, again, I'll just keep, stick with the Manhattan Projects. I, every time I walk into a shop and people are like, oh, you like Hickman? You'll love this. And I've always been like, I don't know. And so I just, I, for, as much as I do love Hickman, it's just always been a question mark. So it's been, I feel like I'm a completist now. Like I, I've, yeah. I've, 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 you know, his body of work now, especially in the end, I think I've read everything. Yeah, I have. I've read every single indie thing he's done. So I feel like that's, that's, um, and, you know, if you're a true reader, if you're a true fan of some of these writers and artists like it just gives you another outlet and then again if you really appreciate that work go buy it put it on your shelf yeah exactly well uh run out and and buy some things at your local comic book shop for sure if you missed it which you probably did because we didn't announce it uh free comic book day was last week so yeah yeah, yeah we really screwed that up and didn't didn't do anything in conjunction with that <laughs> well but it was also infinity war week so who could keep up um I uh, <laughs> forgot to tell you a, a, just a dumb story about free comic book day. I went to my comic book shop on free comic book day, got out of my car and was like, wow, I don't know why, but my pockets feel really light today because I had left my wallet at home oh, <laughs> was no. unable. And I felt so guilty. Like I don't want to just go in and pick up the free comics and then leave, you know, like I wouldn't ordinarily do some shopping here. And hoped I did go in and and sort of you know check things out, but I, I didn't take any free. Comments. Oh shucks, I shucks. Um, I hope well, you I mean, part of part of it, part of free comic book day is just to get people in the shops. I exactly. feel like we're we're regulars. Like you know, as much as I appreciate that oh, yeah. promotional strategy, I, I you know for us like every week is kind of like free comic book day. You know, you walk and you find something cool, or there's some cool discount or something. So it's I kind of want to keep that spirit going all year long. Yeah. Uh, totally. Um, uh, go check it out. Where can people find this show when they are not uh, to, to listen to on their drive to the comic book shop? That's right. You can find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, which is now owned by NPR, which is interesting. Um, and wherever podcasts are found, you can also find us online, findusthere.org. Soon there will be a Coffee and Comics website, too, that we're working on. Look for that. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am by Taylor Trask. And I am at Hey Todd A on uh, Twitter and Instagram. So we will catch you next week for another Coffee and Comics. Bye.